Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week, we're discussing For the Wolf by Hannah Witten. And for this episode, we are thrilled to be joined by Stace McEwen or Stace Bookspace on TikTok and Instagram. Um, we are so excited to have Stacy back. She joined us for our episode, a couple of episodes last year and is back with us this year. So, hey, Stacy, welcome back. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad that I'm back. We are so glad to have you back and we are so excited because you have a book coming out later this fall, right? Yeah. Yes. That's so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) That is still so weird to say, but yes, I do. I have a book coming out on September 13th is the official release date. All right. And where can this book be purchased? I guess any online retailer at the moment, and then it will be uh, in stores after the release date. But at the moment, yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, Waterstones, uh, all the big ones, Booktopia, Book Depository, um, Bookshop.org, like all the all the normal places, I suppose. That is so exciting. Do you feel like, I mean, kind of a big deal, or is it? like overwhelming oh, absolutely to say like absolutely yeah not. I've got books on Amazon I feel like I feel like I've just catfished enough people <laughs> at this point um into believing that yeah like I I wrote something noteworthy and that it should be published um like rationally I know that that's not the case but yeah no every every day I wake up and think how did I trick this many people into making this happen but here we are very grateful for it we're just (laughs) either it's all about to fall on its head and I'm going to be revealed as a crook or it's going to go smoothly we'll see we're gonna vibe it out there for smoothly we will we will manifest that smooth presentation thank you I appreciate that (laughs) yes yeah okay so your story is your book is called ledge what can you tell us about it I'm, it's a very long synopsis, so I'm going to try and keep it nice and short, but it follows a 24-year-old woman named Dawson who lives on this sort of natural prison. She lives on this icy mountain shelf called The Ledge, where her and the other people that live there are completely trapped by sheer mountain face on one side and a very vast, wide chasm that surrounds the rest of the mountain shelf so that they can't leave. And uh, Dawson was born and raised there, and the villagers know how they got there. They know that they once lived in a valley where they were raided and captured by these winged mountain beasts called glaciers, and that they were herded up the mountain and flown over the chasm and dropped on this shelf by them. But while they know that how they got there, they don't know why they're still there. They don't know why they've been kept alive. Um, all they know is that once every season, the glaciers fly back over to the chasm they kind of circle overhead for a while and then they plummet down to the ledge scoop up a couple of um the ledge citizens and fly them away back over the chasm and those people are never seen again so this follow uh, this follows Dawson who 
uh, has lost her family members along the way. She's alone now. She's fending for herself. Um, she's kind of become this complete savage, axe-wielding person who defends her territory and does whatever she has to do to survive. And uh, lo and behold, one day she gets picked up by a glacian at the start of the season and taken over the chasm. And there she kind of learns what the hell is going on and the rest of the plot unravels. So that's um, the short but kind of long nutshell synopsis <laughs> of Wedge. And um, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, if you'll excuse the pun. There's, that's um, <laughs> kind of only encapsulates the first 10% of the book. Um, but yeah, it's a ride. It's a ride. Awesome. It sounds, I can't wait to read it. It sounds amazing. Is it Thank going you. to be a standalone book or is it going to be part of a series? No, it's a trilogy. So all three books are signed um, to be published, which is really, really exciting. Ooh. So the next book should come out September in 2023. And then the following book should come out in September of 2024. Wow. Yeah. Does it end on a big cliffhanger? Can you tell us that? The first book, the first book does. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you being up front. We can start mentally preparing yeah. now. Yes. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really mean for it to end on a cliffhanger. It just happened that way. And I, I stopped writing and went, oh, that was mean. <laughs> It's not true fantasy if it hasn't left you just absolutely pissed off that the next book isn't out yet. Yep. Yep. That's that's an accurate statement. <laughs> yeah. <isn't it? laughs> um, were you inspired by anything with this this story? Oddly, I was inspired by, I had read, I had watched a couple of documentaries and read a couple of books about um, sort of surviving in the wilderness mm -hmm. and had picked up this weird um, liking for it and like learning about how one survives in like horribly hostile environments when they have such little resource at their expense. And I don't know what it was about that, but it really like tickled something inside of me. And I just thought it was such an interesting concept to me that I thought, how cool would it be? And how do you put that in a fantasy world where you have someone that has to do just extraordinary things and go to awful lengths to stay alive in such a hostile environment? So that's sort of how I had the very basic part of the story was just I wanted to put this fierce, badass woman in an environment that really tried to do everything it could to kill her. And I just wanted to see what she would have to do to survive that. And that's sort of how I came up with like just the little foundations of the story and it grew from there. And you said your main character is an axe wielding badass. Did you practice with an axe to kind of get a feel for what your character was going to be like? Listen, I don't have the upper body strength for that, but <laughs> if I did have an axe, handy. <laughs> I would have given it a well. I just don't happen to have an axe handy. Um, but I don't I don't know why I I picked an axe because um part of her life on the ledge was that they have this sort of grove of pine trees and there's very little game to be found. And um, like I said, like their resource is scarce. And uh so the pine trees become kind of this currency among the people 
on the ledge um, because they they need it. They need to burn it so that they can stay alive and um, they need it to build and, and things like that. So they, yeah, they almost become um, this monetary thing. And um, part of her staying alive is being able to defend sort of her copes of trees that belong to her. And um, she uses, she's made that axe and she uses it not only to cut down trees, but also just to cut down people if they get in her way or they try to take what's hers. And so, uh, yeah, the axe was just a tool to that she obviously needed if she was going to survive in this world. And then it turned into a weapon. <laughs> so yes. I don't know. Ooh, that's right. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Multi-purpose though. So. Yeah, multi-purpose, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like your favorite accessory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's got to carry around an axe just because she's not carrying around a sword as well. That seems too much. Just the axe is fine. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't cut down a tree with a sword, I don't think. No, that's right. It's really yeah. silly. So the axe, the axe can do both. Um, were there any authors that inspired your writing? Um I think I, I've sort of narrowed it down to a few but I feel like most of the authors who I love the most actually don't necessarily write fantasy but my favorite favorite fantasy authors are like Renee Adia who wrote um The Wrath and the Dawn um and Mary Pearson who wrote Dance of Thieves um I love those two authors so much Claire Legrand who wrote um the Furyborn series as well I love that series um, I love their writing style as well. Um, yeah, I think those are my, like, sort of my, some of my top um, fantasy authors. But um, I don't know. I'm also just, like, really nostalgic for authors like John Green. Like, those are my mm -hmm. comfort reads, you know, and I've always loved their writing style. And I'd like to think that it's sort of shaped the way that I shape stories as well. Mm -hmm. um, no idea if that's true. But um those are the authors that I always have in mind when I think of like what what do I want my writing to emanate I'd like it to be those people do you feel like you've learned anything about yourself in the process of writing your book and getting it published oh so much um not necessarily the writing of the book because I've been writing books for a really long time I've been writing I think I wrote my first manuscript when I was like 17 and I've been doing it since then um and it's always just been this fun creative outlet, but publishing is just a whole new ball game. Um, and one that I knew nothing about prior to, or at least um, I didn't, I didn't know what I, what I thought that I did. Um, but I think I, in terms of the writing process, I think the most important lesson or the most, the best advice that I can give anyone that has ever asked me for advice is that you just, you have to write without editing until it's all completely done and that editing ends up ends up becoming kind of a roadblock for us while we're writing so you kind of just have to write badly um, and then go back and make it good um, and I think that's the best advice that you can give anyone that's um, writing anything as for publishing I think one of the hardest things that I've had to come to terms with is that uh, I'm not going to please everyone and that's as a pet pool pleaser, that's a very hard pill. It's a very bitter pill to swallow. I'm not going to please it. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I edit, no matter how much I alter the story, it's just, it's not going to be for everyone. 
and um, there's going to be a lot of people that just don't like it and there's nothing that I could ever do to change that. Um, and that's never not been true. Like that's that's with anything in art, it's all um, interpretive and we all like different genres of music and we like different movies and we like different anything. Um, and it's no different for books. So a book that I, for every person that loves a book, there's another person that absolutely loathes it. And that's just the way that it works. So I've learned not to read reviews, um, which is a very, very strange thing. But yeah, reading reviews is like, it's not helpful um, to authors in the way that I always thought that it would be. Um, but yeah, I've learned that those things are not for me. Um, they're for other readers and that all I can do is sort of plot along and keep writing the stories and keep hoping that people, that at least I find a readership, you know, that I find my village of people that um, like to read whatever it is that I write and um, to not worry so much about, you know, pleasing the masses. That's a very difficult lesson to learn. I mean, oh, that's just, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's hard. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think that for a lot of us, the people pleaser in us wants to have a look at what someone does, dislikes and fix it. And you can't do that um, in a book there's, because it doesn't matter how many times you do that, there's going to be something else that someone doesn't like. Yeah. Um, and though, like I said, those reviews are not for authors. Um, they're for other readers. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before, but I can see how that would be hard as an author to read there, especially negative reviews, um, because yeah, there will definitely. always, that if it was the best book in the world, there would be negative reviews. Um, but I can see how it would be hard to digest. That. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you've poured so much effort and time into an endeavor and I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before, but that's a really good point. When we're talking about books, we're talking about the book and we're not talking about the author, mm -hmm. but if the author ever, um, happens to read a review or listen to a conversations about their book it feels like a direct attack and we're only human beings yeah. and it's really hard to turn off that perception that these people are not talking about me they're talking about the book that I wrote mm -hmm. um, but it feels like a part of us so it's really um, it can be it's not serviceable it doesn't help us in any way it it doesn't help our writing in any way either oddly enough and um, it literally nothing good comes from going through your own reviews. Unless they're 100% perfect and there's not a negative word in there, um, you're not going to glean anything particularly positive from it. You have to have like this incredibly thick skin to be able to sort of go through all your reviews and come out the other side unchanged. Um, so, yeah, they're not for us. And it's so, like writing negative reviews is, is by no means a bad thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's like a, a good way to go about writing a negative review in a way that it's not a, a personal attack on the person mm -hmm. who wrote the book and it's just about the book itself. And that's not a wrong thing. It's just that like I think our job as authors is to leave that alone and to stay far away from it or as far away from it as we can. Um, we already have our editors and our agents and publicists and sensitivity readers, and we already have all of those readers who feed back to us what they need to about the book. Um, and then you have your initial sort of beta readers as well who read it. That's sort of enough um, constructive criticism, yeah. you know? That's, mm -hmm. that's upwards of 15 to 20 people who will read your manuscript and then get back to you with feedback. That's enough. 
yeah. you don't need hundreds and thousands of others um, providing feedback to you as well. That's too much. Um, yeah. It's it's too much to bear. What's your favorite book been that you've read so far this year? Um, not a fantasy book, sadly, but I wrote I read um, the Nightingale, which I has been on my shelf forever and I should have read it a long time ago my mum was shoving it under my nose going read it and um <laughs> and you know because I'm a normal human daughter I did not do what she asked me to do for at least a year and <laughs> I, <laughs> I picked it up um a couple of months ago and read it and it was so good it was so beautiful it's a historical fiction um about sort of the women's perspective and World War II era um, in like German occupied France and it was just so beautiful and absolutely gutting and it's just one of those books that like months later I'm still thinking about it you know so that was that's been my top read of the year it's probably the only non-fantasy book that I've read this year as well <laughs> and it's the one that's stuck with me yes it left a mark yeah we're really excited about Ledge I can't wait for it to come out so we can read it and our intention is to talk about it on our show later this year so we're very excited about it and we are yes, just yes I can't wait for that yes we are so grateful that you have taken the time to speak with us today so oh, no. all right so I'll introduce our characters and Vicky will take off with our plot so for our characters we have Red or Redaris she's our female main character. She is the second born daughter of Queen Isla in the kingdom of Valeda. As the second born daughter, she has been raised knowing that on her 20th birthday, she would be taking, taken to the wilder woods and sacrificed to the wolf. Her sister is Neve or Nevera, um, who is the firstborn daughter and will rule Valeda one day when their mother dies. Red and Neve are twins and have always been very close. We have Eric, who is Red's romantic interest prior to going into the woods, and he is the Duke of Florian. He is also the consort elect and is engaged to Neve. Um, and then we have Rafe, who is Neve's romantic interest. We have Eamon, who is the wolf. That's our male main character. His parents were Gaia and Kieran, and they originally made the bargain to keep magic restrained within the wilder woods. And so because of them, the second daughters continued to be sacrificed. So Eamon is tied to the wood. And as such, his job is to keep the wood intact and mitigate the effects of the rot from the shadow lands where the kings and monsters live. And Lyra and Fife are two people who made bargains with him. And so because of that, they help him keep the forest intact. And we have Kiri, who is a priestess. Um, her commitment to freeing the five kings from the Shadowlands is super strong and technically involves some heresy and a whole lot of bloodletting. And she is just super power hungry and is a little bit um, scary. This book takes place in Valeda, which is Red's birthplace, and also within the Wilderwood, which is the magic forest with scary trees. Vicki, do you want to take off with our plot? Yes. So our book opens with our main female lead, Red, getting ready to basically be a sacrifice to the wolf in the Wilderwoods. Um, in this story, the first daughter born to the queen is destined for the throne, and the second daughter is destined for the wolf. Long ago, the Wilderwood used to make bargains with people, but the five kings, who are now revered as gods, 
did not honor their bargain. This caused the Wilderwood to become hostile and it trapped the kings. Additionally, monsters started to escape the Shadowlands and the only thing that seemed to stop it was sending the second daughter of the queen. So Red being the second daughter must be given to the wolf in the Wilderwoods. Her sister Neve will be the queen when their mother passes. Neve is distraught about Red going into the woods and tries to help her run. However, Red tells her that she must go into the woods and that this is her choice and she will not run. Despite this, Neve also gets Red's boyfriend, Eric, to try and convince her to run. And um, Neve also tries to have her boyfriend, Rafe, help her to run as well. Um, again, Red refuses. Neve and Eric don't understand why she is so easily agreeing to go into the woods. Um, Red, however, knows that she must go into the woods or else risk the people she loves. Around three years ago, Red and Neve went to the border of the woods. They tried to burn the woods, but that didn't work. So instead they ended up yelling at the woods, which caused thieves to attack them. Red somehow saved them by using the magic of the Wilderwood, but it left a sliver of magic inside of her. And ever since that night, she's been struggling to keep the magic contained, which is why she refuses to run from her fate. When the time comes, Red willingly goes into the woods after saying goodbye to her tearful sister and cold mother. She quickly ends up in danger after accidentally bleeding on a white tree, but manages to find a castle, which belongs to the feared wolf, who is supposedly deciding whether or not the second daughters are good enough to free the kings for. This turns out to be not how it works. The wolf, who is actually named Eamon, is the son of the first wolf, and this whole situation just kind of fell on his shoulders after his father died. Naturally, he is grumpy, but he isn't going to hurt Red, and he doesn't have the power to free the kings. It is his responsibility, though, to keep monsters from escaping the Shadowlands. He has to heal breaches in the woods to keep the monsters from escaping. This is not easy, though, as he either must use magic, which causes physical changes, or uses blood, which is painful and limited. Red wants to see him heal one of the breaches, and he reluctantly lets her tag along. She quickly gets in trouble again, though, um, but is able to use her magic to save herself. Eamon wonders if she could be able to use her magic to defend herself and help in the overall situation. However, he refuses to put her in other dangerous situations. Red is unwilling to learn her magic because of how scared she is of it though. To try to find a way to use her magic, keep her safe and appease the woods, Eamon suggests a bonding between the two of them, which is basically a marriage. Red agrees, hoping that this will help. As they complete the bonding ceremony, Red feels her magic relax a bit. This bond has other consequences. Eamon goes to heal a breach and Red sees him in a vision getting hurt. She runs out to the woods to find him and help him, which doesn't go super well as she almost gets eaten by the woods, uh, but they all escape. After seeing what a toll this is all taking on Eamon, she decides to learn magic in order to help. This is very difficult for her because of the memories that it brings up, but she finds that being close to Eamon actually helps and she is soon able to have better control over her magic, even managing to heal Eamon at one point. Soon they notice that some of the white trees are rent are randomly going missing, they don't know why, and it's a problem because it weakens the Wilderwoods even more and makes it easier for monsters to get out of the Shadowlands. Red has a suspicion about why this might be happening, and she uses a mirror which shows her Neve. She learns that Neve is trying to weaken the Wilderwoods in the hope that they will release Red. Red knows that she must go to her sister and work this out. She tells Eamon, who says she shouldn't come back because there isn't anything for her there. He reveals that with the other three second daughters, he had been unable to save them and let the Wilderwood drain them. Despite this, Red tells Eamon that she will be back in three days and they'll work on the relationship when she gets back. 
Now, while Red has been learning magic, falling in love with the wolf, um, her mother has died. Her sister has become queen, dismantled the previous religion, replaced it with one determined to weaken the Wilderwoods and save the kings. She also married Eric, since he was a consort, and the man she actually loved, Rafe, is gone. So it's kind of a mess. Um, and Red doesn't realize what she's about to walk into. When she arrives, instead of being taken to her sister, she is taken to the high priestess, Kiri, who has literally killed to get to her position. Um, eventually, Neve and Red reunite, but when Red tells her sister that she will be returning to the woods and she needs to stop what she is doing, Neve is convinced that the woods has some sort of supernatural hold on her. Neve takes her to see the high priestess, and after a bit of a struggle, Red winds up in the dungeon. So what happens? Does she get free? Did the Wilderwoods fall? I don't know. I don't know. Spoilers ahead. Alrighty. So um, for the wolf, this was my one and a half read. Have y'all read this one before? No, this no, is my first, first time read. read to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I loved this book. Me too. Yeah, I really loved it. I made the mistake. I picked it up um, at work at one point during lunch and I was like, I'll just read a little during lunch. Nope. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I have to Rookie go back era. to work. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just go home. <laughs> there you go. Call in sick. Um, I, ha I have to leave now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't stay here because I don't want to. So yeah. Um, the cover art for this book is, uh, I, I feel like the thing that really draw, drew me in initially, um, it's so visually enticing and it just really the contrast is. of the color is so striking. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel like whoever but did the, um, the art did a good job. <laughs> I agree. And also like, you know, I heard um, Red Riding Hood retelling, but then saw the cover and was like, okay, dark Red Riding Hood mm -hmm. retelling, I'm in, because that's how it struck me as mm -hmm. sort of like this sort of darker version of it. And I kind mm -hmm. of, yeah, straight away, I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was because of the cover and I'm just the, the hood. I was expecting it to like I had settled in for a straight up Little Red Riding Hood retelling and I feel like there was Dude. just not a whole lot of actual Little Red Riding Hood um, no. which is fine no yeah. it was it, a very very scraps of it mm -hmm. and then everything else was completely original yes it read very similar to like it reminded me a lot of Beauty and the Beast though yeah you know it gave yeah. that vibe too. absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean yeah she goes into this forest and is like you know she's not held captive but it sort of rings true with the beauty and the beast mm -hmm. theme right like she goes into these woods and she finds this castle and there's a beast inside it who keeps her there and she ends up falling in love with him um this isn't necessarily that no totally but no. It, yeah I can see where you pick that up yeah. I feel like you could probably pull in little elements of a lot of different um maybe older like fairy tale type of stories from that but I felt like a lot of it was also just a story that I had never read before which I, is nice I feel like I you don't get that a whole lot yeah agreed yeah 
No, it was so original. That really struck me because I was the same. I really was expecting just, uh, you know, a pretty straightforward Red Riding Hood retelling. And that's not what we got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was nice. I did kind of feel like I was in the upside down a few times, which yes, <laughs> got some like this. I was like, this feels like stranger things now, um, which is different, but all right. I'm, I can be here for that too. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, did y'all read the dedication for this story? Yes. Not until you pointed it out. I like I read this and it made me feel some things yeah well I didn't I I don't know if I read the dedication and then forgot it because it I you know you read at the start and it's out of context but you put it in the notes for this podcast and I went back and read it and was like oh and now I'm crying yeah it just I mean just I don't know I feel like the way that this dedication is written and just the whole book it makes my brain do delicious things like the brain really enjoys reading this but it's just I mean the way that these words are put together it, she says to those who hold anger too deep to extricate to those who feel too knife edged to hold something soft to those who are tired of holding up worlds I feel like for a dedication, this is very deep and also just very relatable, especially like with the, I feel like the climate that we're in right now, um, it does just kind of feel like maybe things are falling apart a little bit of around us and <laughs> we're all just trying to hold it together. And so I found that super relatable when I read it. Absolutely. That was straight up poetry, that dedication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I highlighted it. And then that same day that I had started and read it and highlighted it, you had posted Marissa, I think on it on our um, Instagram or on our Mm -hmm. Facebook thing. Yeah. I was like, I bet we're going to have highlighted a bunch of the same stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause I highlighted that too. I was like, Oh, this is good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think book dedications are really interesting because we've come across some really like one of our um, followers sent me a fantastic hysterical um, book dedication this week. It was for um, the I think it's the Tate James, the Madison Kate series. Yeah. And that dedication is like. Let me see. Okay, so the dedication for that book is to my first boyfriend, Nick. Thanks for letting me borrow some of our history in this story. You were a deadbeat, but goddamn, your dick was huge. <laughs> <laughs> There's so- wow, what a contrast. <laughs> oh my God, I love Tate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the best. Hysterical. <laughs> I just think that's what it looks like when the author suddenly realizes that if they self-publish, they can write whatever the fuck they want. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, I think Amelia Hutchins had ones where she like dedicated it to the like bitches that she used to work with or something. Yeah. All of her terrible co-workers. Look at me now. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yep. That is absolutely that, that just warms my pity pity soul <laughs> it was great I remember reading that it's it fantastic yes <laughs> that's so good yeah. yeah um 
so I feel like with this dedication, it really just sets a nice tone for the way that the rest of this author's writing, like her writing style is just lovely. The way that she crafts images and puts words together is beautiful. Some of my favorite things that she said were, um, or that, so quotes from the story were, if Red's voice had been placid autumn, Neve's was wrecking winter, all cold and jagged. And then about another yeah, character. It's so sensory. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it creates the image and you can connect what that would sound like with the image that she has pulled forth. She also says, yes. um, Eric was a blade that drew blood two different ways and the wounds left were best tended alone. Yeah. I, An I, interesting quote. Yeah. The writing was really lovely in this and I highlighted some stuff too um, with examples. It was, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty and descriptive and it all flows together really well. Mm -hmm. So I had highlighted the ferns on the sill arched towards her called by some strange magnetism and she felt the quickening of earth beneath her feet, even through layers of marble roots running like currents. It's just pretty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really is she draws like she constantly draws parallels between um roots and vines mm -hmm. and veins mm -hmm. yeah and somehow she managed to recall that in the writing like again and again and again over and over and over but never in a way that felt super repetitive mm -hmm. i kept mm -hmm. going back and highlighting all of those instances where she did that she described veins like vines or roots Mm -hmm. and was like how is it that you keep saying it and it doesn't feel <laughs> repetitive and like, and she she just manages to write it so beautifully and so descriptively mm -hmm. um that it still doesn't come off as like purple writing I don't know she's very very talented mm -hmm. our main character Red I found her to be really interesting so in the first part of this book she has this enormous sense of hopelessness about her situation um and the way that her sister, Neve and Eric, her, her boyfriend, they feel about boyfriend, I don't know, romantic, not really boyfriend, whatever he is. Um, and the way that they feel about her lack of action to change the circumstances, like their frustration with her and also Red's like lack of desire to change what's going to happen. You can feel how frustrated they are and also how hopeless she feels. Um, I think that their emotions are very well presented in the story. And I'm not sure how I would feel in this situation because Red chooses not to take action to, to prevent herself from being sacrificed to the woods um, because she perceives herself as being dangerous. She is choosing to, to make herself a sacrifice instead of running away to protect her sister. And so the only way to do that is to go to the woods. And I just don't know what I would do in that situation. Like if you were doomed as a sacrifice, would you go with quiet acceptance or like leave in a blaze of glory, set the castle on fire and just walk away? So I think I'd set the castle on fire and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. She doesn't find out that she's this like horrible threat and that she has ties to the wildwood or that the wildwood's in her. She doesn't find that out until I think it says that she's like 16 or something when they um, 
get all rebellious and escape the ball and go into the wilderwood to try and burn it down. Um, I think she was 16 and then she was 19 when she got her mark and was therefore given to the wolf as a sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would not have taken me 16 years to get angry enough to burn down the wildwood. <laughs> like, I would have been like eight and, and trying to burn things down if I knew that that was in my future. I just feel like it like long before then would have been the time that I take action, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and not because I'm brave, because I'm a coward and I don't want to be given to a wolf to be eaten, which is what she believes is going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. No way. No way am I spending my adolescent years dying. Well, I'm going to get eaten by a wolf at some point in my future I guess I'll just sit here nicely before then absolutely not she doesn't believe she has any connection to her mother um and that there's no like familial bond there um she only has her sister who was quite happy to take off with her I would have been like pack your shit off Mm -hmm. we go yes Mm -hmm. yes I agree I think I would probably just like fuck it up right until the last moment like if you're going to make me yeah, go, you you're going escape, to regret it. it <laughs> <laughs> I will make you regret the fact that I exist. If you're going to make me go and sacrifice myself. So, yeah, I would 100%. be like kicking and screaming the whole way that like, yeah, you would have to drag me. Yeah. I'm that. about to make it as difficult as possible mm-hmm. for you to do this. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, um, I, I can see why her sister would have gotten so frustrated with her. Um, At the same time, I mean, it's very admirable. Like she feels like she's trying to save her sister in this situation. And I feel like if I just wanted to save my sister, you can still do that and just leave the country. You could just leave her behind. So I don't know. It's very admirable, this sentiment that she's got. But I, if I knew that I was going to die and I didn't want to, Mm, I think that I would just maybe like, I don't know, go live in the mountains or something, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, no, the the whole, she thinks that she's a threat and that she thinks that she's going to put people in danger is definitely just a plot device used to get her into the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just saying that it would have been, it would have been a little more satisfying if we had have had a bit of the kicking and screaming. You yes. know? We probably yes. would have swallowed it a bit better. We've been like, that, that's it. You kick and scream. Yeah. Um, it's not how it was, but I don't know, I've, you know, we've all read bigger plot holes than just that one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> the author provided us a, 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 like something that we could reason with as to why she was just kind of willingly taking herself into the woods. Mm. Um, I don't know, something to be said for the way that um, children can be indoctrinated into believing certain things. Um, it talks a lot about how Neve in particular, but Red as well, they grew up and n- neither of them really believed in this entire system, right? They didn't really believe in the idea that the kings could be resurrected from um, the Wildwood. The, the Wildwood would like release um, the kings back to um, the later. So mm-hmm. when she goes into the wood, when, she's at, when she was 16, I believe it was, she goes back into the she goes into the wildwood when she's 16 in the attempt to burn it down and instead something goes wrong 
and she gets a little bit of that magic inside of her and it scares her and she doesn't remember what has happened. She just knows that she's, uh, she thinks she's responsible for having killed these people and done these horrible things. And she thinks she, that she has this magic inside her now and that it's a threat to Neve and that it's a threat to other people around her. And suddenly all these things that she didn't believe in before are now real. And she thinks that, um, that the real danger is her. I can understand that that might lead her to go, I'm just going to top myself off because I'm scared of what I might be capable of. It just wasn't quite enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got so frustrated with her mom in this story. Absolutely. She's so cold and distant with, uh, with red and right before red goes into the forest, she makes this comment, which I mean, just the timing is awful, but she says to red that she was never really hers. And they, I'm assuming the priestesses never let her forget it, which is a shit excuse. All children, all children deserve to be loved and to have affection and to be shown tenderness by their parents. And I don't find her mother's willingness to sacrifice her and keep herself distant from red acceptable, even knowing that she was going to be given up at some point. Well, it talks about how the um, other Queens were inconsolable. Yes. Yeah. And her mom's just like, bye. Like (laughs) so sad. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at it, I I guess when we got some background information about the other queens, about the other mothers, it kind of made me think, well, so technically what happened then is uh, if the queen had a sister that was given to the Wilderwood, is that correct? I'm trying to think back to like, if they're, if they're a queen and they've had their own two daughters and one's for the throne, the first for the throne and the second's for the Wilderwood, that means that when they were a girl, they were a princess, they had a sister and the sister was given to the Wilderwood, perhaps, or somewhere down the line. So it made me think like she, did she, when she was younger, did she have a sister who was the second daughter that was given to the Wilderwood? So she saw all of that happen and she saw it as something that was inescapable. And then she, mm. as a queen, had her two daughters and knew that that second one would be given to the Wilderwood, whether she liked it or not. And mm-hmm. as a pre- sort of a preventative measure, as like this um, defence mechanism, she just went, I'm not going to form any kind of bond with this child from the outset. It will be easier for me and easier for her if we just don't like each other. Then when she has to be sacrificed to the Wilderwood, that, you know, that cut won't be so deep. Um, so I feel like I can't remember though in the book if they described whether or not um the queen herself when she was a child had a second daughter I don't think they said whether I don't she did not, think not a second daughter sorry did. a sister yeah I don't think that they did and I do think before um Queen Isla Red's mom became queen um it switched from uh, a different line, like different line of ascension back to her, because I think right. Red's family came from like the original line, and it at some point that line ran out, and then I guess it picked back up again, and it switched right. back to her. So I don't know that it would have been her. That would have been kind. That would have been kind of cool. That would have been like mm-hmm. a maybe a fleshier way of trying to describe why mm-hmm. um, her mum chose that course 
the way that she did. If they sort of went back in time and described how she herself had a sister that she was very, very close with, much in the same way that Red and Me were close. Mm -hmm. And that sister was given to the Wildwood and she watched it happen and she saw and, you know, they fought against it and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, to no avail, she was given to the Wildwood everywhere, anyway. She never returned. And then she had to watch her own mother's demise who could not cope mm-hmm. with the fact that her daughter was given, you know. If she had have been the bystander watching and grieving and watching her mother grieve as well and then she herself rises to become queen and has these two daughters, that would have been perhaps an even better explanation of why she puts like this distance between her and her second daughter. Yes. Yeah. I think there was like a a hundred year gap in between the last second daughter. Yeah, you know, you're right. There was because there's only like three previous second daughters or something before Red. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just this big gap. Yeah. That would have been a cool way to sort of, yeah, I just think it would have been a cool way to explain why she is so cold and distant and, um, yeah. and creates this barrier between them yes well and you can have empathy for a character in that situation like mm-hmm. you can have compassion when you win things like so if that had been the thing that happened I, I might have been a little less salty um yeah about the way but she otherwise treated you just sounds like a cold bitch yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and it's hard she's also kind of distant I think with Neve as well so I don't I don't know if it's just in raising and because Red and Neve were so close, there really was not a whole lot of um, room for her to interact with them separately. Yeah. And maybe she didn't. And because of that, um, maybe she tried to, uh, I don't know, withhold seeming cruel to Red by not trying to keep them separate. Right. So trying to spend time with Neve alone would be hurtful yeah yeah see that because yeah it is mentioned that me doesn't have a very much better relationship with her mother either so yeah and I think it only describes that the queen's like a bit, a bit warmer towards me but that's mm-hmm. about it red gets sacrificed and she goes to the woods and I love that she just like she shows up and she's like I am here <laughs> come kill me come kill me <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I brought my bag of books just in case I don't die. Was that not <laughs> the most bizarre thing? <laughs> she didn't pack like any clothes, but yeah. she brought books. So like she's not gonna live. I'm long like no food, have... no water. <laughs> she's not gonna live long enough to do any of those things, but she's gonna live long enough to read like ten books. I guess I wouldn't have minded seeing a chapter of her just kind of sitting on a log, just reading. <laughs> yes. The pros will keep me warm. Uh, <laughs> the yes. to kill her. <laughs> Words will be my blankets. Yeah. 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 He is all of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she goes into the woods, announces her presence, and then the the description of the trees was so creepy. I yeah. loved it. I would not like. I don't know vampire trees trees with like fanged faces and they creep along Mm -hmm. behind you it reminded me of the weeping angels and doctor who like when you take Mm -hmm. your eyes off of them they sneak up behind you and kill you oh god yeah that's what I got from these trees like they were they're scary trees 
These are spooky forest trees. Yeah. But I loved it. I felt like it was very, just the way that, ooh, it made me fearful of the trees, which I don't love because I do really like trees and I want them to be friendly. Also, I picture birch <laughs> trees. <laughs> um, I don't know. Birch trees are typically pretty white. Um, they have brown. I, I also pictured birch yeah. trees, so yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah um, I kind of like how the author set that up. We were, the trees were the enemy, you know, yeah. at the beginning there. And she set it up that way. Later, we learned that's not necessarily the case, but um, I like how she set it up mm -hmm. that way so that we could sort of have that growth. Yes. I also like how with the trees, we later find out they're, the way that they're set up, like it's like they have a job. They, we have the sentinel trees. Yeah who kind of alert Eamon and Fife and Lyra that some bad, like these are going to be rotted. There's a hole in this one. It, they're almost like, it gives me the imagery of soldiers maybe um, in their ranks or like protecting, doing their jobs, alerting yeah. the general mm -hmm. or what, I don't know. I don't know the military. I don't know those things, but um, <laughs> I really like. I'm picking how, out what you're putting down. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I just really liked the way that that was incorporated. Um, I guess in the, first of all, it makes them seem a little bit less scary, but um, I just thought it was a creative way to make the scary forest, like actually have a, a purpose beyond just being a scary forest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she finds herself at the gates to the castle, right? And manages to get inside. Mm -hmm. and she meets the wolf, mm. who is, of course, a very rugged lumberjack type man. And she meets him in the library. I mean, this is just everything that I ever want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Again, very Beauty and the Beast. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. What did y'all think of Eamon? Is that how you say his name? Eamon? Yeah. Eamon? How Amen. did you say it? Yeah. Eamon. Okay. Eamon. Eamon. Yeah. I, Amen. I, Amen. half of this I listened to on audiobook and they say Eamon. Okay. Amen. Okay. Good. Nice. Um, I, I kind of loved him. Um, he's the strong silent type for sure he's very um he reminds me a little bit of Edward Cullen with his want to be a martyr mm -hmm. and to take the fall and the sacrifice all the all the time mm -hmm. um but he had more reason to want it so I bought it mm -hmm. yeah I liked him he was the whole like self-martyr thing and it's annoying right it gets annoying but it does, just, it's so it's so very common right so we're, yes we kind of read it and go uh, okay yeah we'll, we'll just roll with it well all right you want to like yeah. lead yourself dry to the woods fine yeah um <laughs> but he acts well i i get i kind of get it but he acts like it's so horrible like oh you're in this castle in the woods and you must want to go home and it's like all right yes yeah, so you're living in like haunted woods but like that sounds way better than living in a city where they treated her poorly as like yeah yeah like I mean first of all I probably take that Amen woods. hasn't been out a lot yes that's exactly <laughs> it 
<laughs> just a guy with no Believe social me, skills. My dude. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy your coffee and your books and just live your best life. Do yeah. not worry about the outside world. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did get a little so and again, this is probably just a plot device, but there were so many unanswered questions in the start of the story. Like, um, yeah. Red gets to the woods. She shows up. Eamon's like, just stay in the house and don't go anywhere. And she's like, hmm, okay. But then she doesn't. And so she goes with him. And there are all of these questions to be asked. Like, why do you bleed on the trees? And why are the trees rotting? And all of the things. And we get none of the answers. And I understand right. why it's to build anticipation. We're building suspense. We're laying the, for the groundwork. But in my mind, I was just like, ask some questions. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. really ask the questions, <laughs> which I found interesting. I did appreciate, though, that unlike some characters in the situation, she didn't just go running off on her own a lot. I appreciated that about her. I just yeah, wish she would ask questions. characters I want to do. So mm-hmm. it was odd that she didn't try. Um, I also found it odd that when she, like you said, she arrived and he was like, all right, well, listen, just stay in the house. Don't go outside. Don't touch things stay, and, you know, stay away from me. She was just like, well, all right, then. <laughs> but no, remember, like, you don't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, you wanna I understand? trees with the fangs are outside. So I guess it kind of made sense that she was like, no, good plan. I'll stay in here. It seems safer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He presents the option to learn to use her magic, which is the whole reason that she went to the forest because she has the magic and is afraid of it. Yeah. Because it could kill people like her sister. And that's why she's in the forest. And so he presents the option and she's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to stay here. (laughs) Okay, Uh, fine. That's okay. That's fair. You can do that. That's, that's cool. (laughs) He was very understanding about it. He was, he was very supportive. (laughs) Anything you want to do. Yeah, sure. Yes. I mean, I really liked Damon. I feel like Mm -hmm. he was really good at supporting like, okay, fine. We'll do it this way. I will literally bleed myself dry so that you can do the things that you want that's fine it's it's all my fault anyway it's fine (laughs) (laughs) again very edward cullen i'll just do everything for you yes yeah maybe he's just suffering from blood loss it could be that he's just not quite with it yeah um i wanted to shake red a few times for her lack of questioning and the times where she did question, it wasn't the right question or it wasn't the one that we wanted answered most. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I understand that, that its purpose was to build suspense. Usually what happens though is that the main character asks the question, the burning question that we all want to know the answer to, and they get rejected. The, an- the question is not answered for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. You know, that's usually what happens and we go, oh, fine, we'll wait for the answer until later. Mm-hmm. um mostly in this book people just didn't ask questions yep just blindly accept what's going on yeah okay <laughs> like, I'll just sure I have a question I'll pop it away and I'll uh I'll bring it up later <laughs> save all the questions for the end yeah, yeah I'll save was. all the questions for the end I'm yep. polite <laughs> <laughs> 
don't want to interrupt. Yeah, no. there you go. <laughs> you bleed on those trees. Don't you worry about me. Yep. Yeah. It's a little, okay. So, I mean, it's a little problematic though. Like, so the sentinel trees start showing up in the house and then she mm -hmm. like accidentally bleeds in her room. There, the leaves are scratching on her door, which is terrifying to me. So she yeah. opens it, she trips, she starts bleeding and then like all hell breaks loose. And suddenly there are 40 trees and a bunch of vines in her room. And even then she's like, okay. <laughs> Guess I'll sleep in Eamon's room. Yeah. Fine. Okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fair. Fine. Yeah. Again, her only her only uh, reaction to that was like, "Well, he did tell me not to bleed." <laughs> so I guess I brought this on myself. Yeah. Silly me. Yeah. I do think that Eamon struggles some with survivor's guilt. That's especially yeah. brought to the forefront when he's talking about all he's explaining. So I would have asked what happened to the other people that were the other second daughters, perhaps a little bit sooner, but whatever. So eventually he explains what happens to them. They died and he takes all of the blame for that onto himself. It's his fault because he, he in the them. first, he didn't save them. He didn't know how to the first and second times. The third time he was tired or got distracted and someone died. So he let his guard down and it's his fault that they're dead. And mm. then it's also his fault that Red's mom dies. And it's his fault that Red's mom wasn't really involved with her being raised. And it's also yes. his fault that Neve is now struggling and nefarious things are happening in her kingdom because Red is with him. It's all his fault. This man needs mm. therapy. So badly. He needs a hug. Yeah. I do like how supportive Red is, though, in mm -hmm. saying, like, this is, these are not your faults. These, you didn't have anything to do with the bargain that was made in this situation. Yeah, that's right. It's not the way that my mother raised me has nothing to do with you. So I feel mm -hmm. like as I mean, they're not like officially a couple at this point, but I do feel like she they're good at supporting each other yes. and this weird yeah. sort of friendship that they've developed. Yeah, she has and they patience. have this level of respect for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she has a lot of patience, I think, to deal with the to deal with that woe is me it's all my fault oh no <laughs> everything that happened yeah mm. I'm surprised she wasn't triggered by um his distancing from her in the same way that her mother distanced herself from her you know mm -hmm. um mm. as soon as there's any connection established between red and the wolf at any point in the story where they seem like they might be getting closer the wolf pulls away further right he distances himself I'm surprised that wasn't triggering for her mm -hmm. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of times in those situations, she's so like she brings this up in the way that he talks about his parents. He doesn't most of the time call them his parents. He refers to right. them by their names, Gaia and Kieran. And so I think that she might in those situations um, be able to either relate or just understand why he is trying to pull away. 
yeah either because she's experienced it or because she can see kind of um or relate to the way that he is creating distance because she has experienced the same thing does that make sense i feel like that got yeah super garbled that makes sense that's me every time I talk, so don't worry. <laughs> no, it makes it makes sense. I just um, it's not a, it's not necessarily um, like exclusive to this book, but like yeah. female main characters in fantasy books tend to have these childhoods that weren't great, and they're surprisingly well adjusted as adults. Which we know that that's that's not how that's real not life, life works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when we read it, automatically, like sometimes we read it and we go, but why are you so self-aware yeah <laughs> you know this is how real people right now, respond like, yeah why did you kiss me and now you're not talking to me what did I do yeah you know I liked the way their relationship progressed right like he said like you know they started out as strangers whatever then they were friends and then they became more and I enjoyed watching their relationship it was a slow progression um but it felt kind of natural in the book and their banter and their flirting it wasn't over the top or anything I really enjoyed reading it there's this one part where um she asks him what he's going to do and he goes I'm going to do wolf things which Hmm. just made me chuckle because it also made me think of the whole um can't talk right now I'm gonna go do I have to go do hot girl shit (laughs) or whatever it is I saw that as the the equivalent of that um (laughs) I just, I like seeing their interactions um, when they went to that town, or I guess like the country kind of that's within the forest itself. Edge. Yeah, the edge, that's called. And they're talking about um, maps and she's like, do you even know what it looks like? I can read a map. It was just these, these cute little interactions that they have. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I quite liked their banter. Yeah. I think the people in the edge deserve a round of applause for being so self-sustaining because they've been cut off from the rest of the continent for like 500 years and have managed to, I don't know, bypass like incest and uh, craft their own clothes. (laughs) Yeah, we're assuming, maybe not, who knows? (laughs) You do you, people of the edge. Um, That's not where I thought you were going with that. like yeah it must be so hard to trade yeah (laughs) I mean that too they've had to like grow their own food sustain their own supplies I just think it takes a lot of uh, ingenuity to be cut off from the rest of everybody for 500 years and not be extinct basically absolutely so good for good for y'all good for the people at the edge you go (laughs) Um, there, the side characters in this story are interesting. So what I really appreciate is that instead of just accepting at some point that red's not going to come back, red is dead. They fight so hard to get her back that they get involved with like this weird group of priestesses with nefarious plans and one of them has a cane like a pain kink and enjoys bleeding people and uh, they really they really go to extremes to get her back and I appreciate that (laughs) 
I had dual thoughts on this because yes, I liked that because a lot of times you read these books, the person goes away and then they're like, oh, I have to go back to save my father. And that's like the only time you see like the people who were left behind, right? In this one, we get like these interludes where you get to see what's going on with her sister and her ex kind of, right? So I enjoyed seeing that. But also it definitely became a bit obsessive and like her sister's got a kingdom to run. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It just, so it felt like some of the lengths she was going to were a bit extreme. Um, and then of course we have, Eric, right? I think is mm-hmm. probably everyone else, who just like completely sacrifices himself wholly to get her back, which is yeah. sweet, but maybe not the best thought out plan. It is in fact the worst thought out. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> that was the shittest plan I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I just- it was cute the way like how desperate he was and everything but I'm like oh, my dude so many red flags you just walk straight past them <laughs> um I agree I need did seem quite obsessive um especially considering red explained to her many times that like she was you know ready to be a sacrifice and she was ready to go to the wilderwood and um the fact that they weren't even completely sure if red was alive she just said she said that she would feel it if um, Red was dead. And yeah, and then they concocted this terrible plan with some real dodgy priestesses. Um, she was evil from the outset, you know? It was like, oh, come on, Neve. I, yeah, that annoyed me a little bit. Um, but I understand that Neve herself was quite desperate to get her sister back. And I understand that their relationship was close enough that she would go to desperate means to do that. But yeah, Kiri just straight up a troll from mm-hmm. the outset. Mm-hmm. Red flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. All of them. Do not approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But we're just going to ignore them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like if anyone comes to you and is like, yeah, I'll help you. You've just got to bleed for it. That's. That's the biggest the red flag yeah <laughs> <laughs> red flags that's <laughs> that's pretty much the worst one yeah. <laughs> um, it's just these character growth development was just wild you know she yeah. went from being like the priestess now she's this heretic queen that like abolished the previous religion you know to... yeah <laughs> it was just like what and happened? everyone was just kind of like oh okay yes I love her character arc it's wild it's just really is I wonder if because there's a sequel right there's for the throne yes Mm -hmm. yeah and I haven't read it I don't know if you two have but I haven't read it Mm -mm. Mm -mm. oh yeah I just I wonder how that might have played out if she had just turned into this evil queen who endured Mm -hmm. and they came at odds together that would have been cool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she had quite like you know because she had quite the villain origin story didn't she mm-hmm. yes yeah I'm curious about what's gonna happen in the second book because Me too. she at the end of this book ha- I, I feel like we just don't know a whole lot about the shadow lands that's where all the monsters are and the rotting trees are and the five kings are yeah um, I wonder if we'll go there 
Oh, yeah. Maybe it'll be a reverse harem. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Who knows? <laughs> Probably not. Didn't the author didn't give that vibe, but <laughs> wouldn't that be a twist? <laughs> hey, her character was crazy. Why? Why not? Why not? Why, why not? not? Let's see what you can do with that shadow magic, Neve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it got pretty. Well, if wild. we go to the Shadowlands and they start describing the kings all as like super hot, I'm gonna get real <laughs> suspicious. <real quick. laughs> they all have beautiful flowing hair and vibrant oh, eyes. I bet and... <laughs> they do. I bet they do. Some rippling muscles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> under their tunics. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also nice. What's nice about this is that we also don't typically see this perspective from the other characters when the main characters perceived to be lost. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. it's a little, it's different to have that perspective too. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting. It was interesting to see, um, characters like Rafe and um what's her what's Red's love interest name Neve's Eric betrothed Eric, Eric. that's it mm-hmm. he stumped me pretty much the whole way through the book and obviously we find out why at the end mm-hmm. but his character all the way through I just couldn't get a grasp on what his angle was mm-hmm. no yeah if right we had taken like bets at the start of this book to see like where we thought each character would end up at I would not have yes. gotten it. Like there was no, <laughs> like secretly Which says something to the book, but you know, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, I would have picked Eric as the main villain. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, I would have assumed. I would have assumed that the wolf that Amon and Red would in like you know that that they would be the main couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I would have assumed that their mother, the queen, that she, rather than dying, I think I would have assumed that she would have been a main villain as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that Neve would have been the one that needed the rescuing. Just, I didn't see a lot of it coming. And I appreciate that. No. In the book. It's nice to be surprised mm-hmm. by a story. I feel like a lot of times I can kind of guess what's going to happen. And when I'm not able to, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, because we understand the way that stories work. So we're sort of mm-hmm. waiting for that, you know, that plot twist, even if it's not really so twisty to come out. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this one surprised me a bit. I just could not figure out what Eric was up to. Um, his character was very strange and mm-hmm. shady. Mm-hmm. Also real surprising. I, mm, so in the beginning of the book, Eric's like begging Red to run away with him and he'll run away too. It's not just, I'll get you out. It's I'll get you out and I'll get me out and we'll go together and we'll just be hermits and everything's going to be fine. And Red is like, no, I'm going to go and you can (laughs) marry my sister and we'll just never talk about it again. And (laughs) He's like, but I love you. And she's like, uh, I like you. you. Yeah, <laughs> I like you. I like, like you even. I just don't love you. Yes. 
and yeah. Eric. And there was that weird moment where he kind of grabbed her arm and mm -hmm. she was like, she did like she was explaining how she described it, how it hurt. And that made me go, okay, so this is where we realized that maybe the boy that she's been hanging out with is in fact kind of a villain in the story mm -hmm. and that's usually like a little clue you know that the author drops in there a little, little easter egg you know I thought that character's a bad one automatically my head's like this dude is not he's he's a bad guy catalog mm -hmm. that away for later it confused me when in fact he was but wasn't mm -hmm. it was very messy yeah also you know, later on and obviously it's because we find out that he um has been like not inhabited or possessed, but he's been swapped out, I guess, with Solmir. Is that what how you describe it? I suppose like their yeah. shadows, like mm -hmm. you know, Eric became a shadow and um and Solmir sort of took his place. And he has this weird possessive thing going on for Neve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like why? Yes. Very I found strange. that very bizarre. And was annoyed by how self-righteous he was because at one point he, so Red has gone back to the castle and they've got her in this cell and she is trying to get back and Solmir masquerading as Eric is upset with her for wanting to go back and he basically tells Red that she isn't worthy of Neve and Neve deserves better. And I was just thinking, yeah. I'm very annoyed by the fact that you feel like you deserve to have an opinion about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, why? Like, I don't understand your connection to Neve. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Where did this come from? Don't get it. Yeah, don't get it. Yeah. I think that, so by the end of the story, we know probably a more, we know more about Solmir than we did at the beginning and I'm not sure how to feel about him because he's initially presented as this character that he was supposed to marry Eamon's mom and she got married to Kieran and then Solmir got hooked up with the kings and they ended up in the Shadowlands and so okay not not ideal doesn't says it doesn't say great things about them and then Later, Eamon's mom dies because she tries to set Solmir free, which is also not great. So Eamon has some not great feelings about him. And then at the very end, he tries to get Eamon to destroy himself, basically, which is also not ideal. But the way that it's presented, it's like he's dropping these hints that make me think Either he's a good guy in disguise or possibly just morally gray character. Because his comments are like, the other kings need to come back because the more time they have to plan, the worse things are going to be. So like, okay, that doesn't sound like the things a bad guy would say. No, that's right. And the things that he's saying, Neve's defense and things don't sound like a thing that a bad guy would say. It sounds like someone with an attachment would say. Mm -hmm. It was he's quite an interesting character that makes me want to read the next book all the more just to see how that like who who is he yes who are you <laughs> tell us so many unanswered questions yes yeah I'm kind of ashamed of how pleased I was when the queen and priestess Sophia died and 
also of how disappointed I was that Carrie did not die. Apparently I've become a little bloodthirsty because <laughs> No, I felt the same way. I don't think so. <laughs> or perhaps we're all ruined together. I don't know. But either way I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't like ups- I didn't like so I didn't care too much about the Queen or Sophia. So when they died, I was just like, meh, they're dead. It's clear. <laughs> but okay. That works. I wasn't like, yay, but also I just was like, whatever. Um, but yeah, Kiri not dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on. I feel like that would have been really satisfying. Instead, yeah. you just got oh, like yeah. KO'd. Uh. Mm-hmm. It's nice, like a tree stomp on her or something. Yeah. Yes. Know, right? A stompy oh, tree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Eaten by the thing trees. <laughs> yes. Very satisfying. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm, I, I have, yeah, I'm the same. Any book that I read now, anyone that throws any shade at the main character, I'm just like, I hope you die at the, in the course of this book. I'm not sure that that's a great quality to have in myself, but there it is. Any, any character. <laughs> what a boring book it would be if you just got rid of all of the antagonists. I've definitely read a book where I've been like, I cannot wait to read your death scene. like I know he will die I can't wait for it yes um but Kiri is an absolute snake there are no likable qualities in her for me Mm no she's also really into making people bleed which I mean if that's your kink like fine it should be consensual like I just feel like she got a little hung up on this and then she murdered all those priestesses so i just think carrie probably has some problems yeah for sure (laughs) i i think she's working through some shit i laughed so much when she was trying to cuddle up to samir at the end and he was like like just like launching her away (laughs) in the dungeon it's like oh god (laughs) she'd go on a like little tirade and he'd be like all right that's enough from you yeah (laughs) yeah Yes, I, like, I think yes. at one point he's like, "Do you ever stop talking?" Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what he, he was like. Yeah. Shut up! I was like, "You're a pick me girl. You need to step aside." <laughs> oh, it was really funny. Yeah. One thing that annoyed me, um, not in a bad way, but just in like because I was so I was quite like amped up, was when uh, Red returned to Valeda and she was talking with. Well, she came across Kiri first, I believe, and then um, Neve came in, and then she had some sort of alone time with Neve before Eric interrupted. Um, in those conversations where Neve asked her pointed questions like, "Like, why did you marry the wolf?" or "Like, what is who? What's the wolf like?" or "What's the wilderwood like?" She didn't answer any questions. She didn't. She came to, back to the Valeda to try and stop them from uprooting the wilderwood mm-hmm. or damaging the wilderwood. And then she kind of got back and took her sweet time. And it, it sort of explained why she didn't speak up and say anything. Like, I would have run back into that kingdom being like, stop, don't do it. Leave the water alone, it's good. <laughs> but she was so frustrating that she didn't. Mm-hmm. She just kind of, you know, the writing just said something like really ambiguous, like, um, but there's, you know, there's too much that needs to be said and not enough words with which to say it or you know, there's too much knowledge that she needs to impart, but not enough words. And I'm like, 
then just say it simply, okay? You don't have to say it poetically, but you need to tell them before they uproot more. And that Kiri bitch is going to be back any minute with her blade and she's going to bleed you dry. We can all see it coming. Don't mm-hmm. know why you can't. Start talking. Like, talk. Stop eating. Start talking. <laughs> it was so frustrating. <laughs> and it happens in almost every book and every time I fall for it where I'm like, they need to explain what's going on. And they don't, they never explain it. They're always like, I have to be careful in the way that I speak. I'm like, you don't, just start screaming from the rooftops and hopefully someone will listen. Please, for the love of God. Use your words. Use your words, please. You don't have to say it beautifully, just say it simply. So like, listen, Neve. I understand that you have some strong feelings towards the wildwood, but I'm here to tell you that you're not doing me a solid at all, okay? <laughs> I wanna live there, it's good. Me and the Wildwood, we're good now. We've figured it out. The wolf is really hot. Would like to say he has this whole ass library. Life is going well there. I need you not to fuck it up for me. Okay? Leave the Wildwood alone. Stop ripping out the trees, please. You're letting out all the beasties from the Shadowland. Like, I just, instead, she's just like, hmm, I have to be careful in the way that I impart my words. It drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. Thank you. Yes. That's all I wanted was that validation. Yes. Agree. Yes. yes. Well, and because of that, she gets herself led to the shrine and then they like try to bleed the roots out of her or something. It's going to bleed the magic out the of shrine. you. Okay. Okay. That I was guess the other thing. She was like, I'm going to wait until I go and see the shrine. I'm like, you don't need to see the shrine. No. You don't need to see the shrine. Just tell them what's up and then get out of there. Yeah. Yep. Of course, when she does say to Neve, like, yeah, I got married and uh, like, Eamon's pretty cool. Neve is like, they said you would be different. Yes. yes. <laughs> I feel it's like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And again, when she said, when Neve says that, like, oh, we knew you'd come back different. Red just said quietly and her inner monologue is just like, oh, she's not understanding what I'm saying. I'm like, then say it louder. Yeah. Say it louder until she understands. And instead, she just doesn't really respond. Yeah. Drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Something that I think this author does well is talk about grief in a way that's very uh, true to life. Yeah, agreed. I didn't I identify this the first time I read through it, but the second time it was very uh, noticeable to me. So we have uh, several characters who are experiencing a lot of grief. We have Neve, who is grieving the loss of her sister and eventually her mom. And you can see her kind of working through some of these stages of grief, except acceptance. So we have her being sad and we have her trying to bargain with Red to get her to stay and then getting angry with her for not staying. And when that doesn't work and Red leaves, she refuses to accept her choice. Then she bargains with the dark side to bring her back. Then you also have uh, with grief, sometimes when it's, when you're just mired in grief, you're really unable to process some things and it can feel like you're living in a fog. And I think we see some of that with me, even the decisions that we, she makes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, she's so desperate to save red that she's ignoring or can't, doesn't have the bandwidth to acknowledge all of these red flags, like Kiri, who is just a big waving red flag yeah but also eric's behavior and the way that it changes red flag 
Yes. Her mom dying. She Her mom dying very so suddenly. Quickly. Yes. Yes. Red flag. But because of yeah. all of the grief, she's just not really able to process that and not yeah. making great decisions either. And so I feel like the author does a really good job of capturing the impact that that grief is having on her and her behavior. Yeah. I agree. And it's like you said um, about not having the bandwidth to like really process things properly. It's almost like she, like she sees the red flag and then she bypasses it mm -hmm. purposefully. Like I don't mm -hmm. have, I don't have it within me to worry about that right now or to address that. I'd rather chance it if there's a chance that I might end this grief by getting my sister back. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that kind of makes some of the bizarre, like the obsessive behavior around getting red make a little bit more sense. Yes. I also think that the way that grief is presented from Red's perspective is very true to life as well, because she lost the relationship with her sister, but see, she also loses her mother and she has more mournful feelings for the relationship with her sister than she does her mother. And she yeah. struggles with that too. Yeah. You can see her almost feeling like feeling as much guilt as she does sadness that her mother is dead more so that she doesn't feel enough sadness that her mother is dead and so mm -hmm. she feels guilty compounded on top of that and it's like balancing those two things yeah yeah um at one point she's talking to amen about her feelings and what i so what i like is that amen at some point is like grief is really weird like grief grief is just very strange which is true um my brother passed away it's been a, a year and the grieving process has been one of the strangest things I think I've ever experienced. Things will be completely yeah. fine. And then you remember something and it's like, well, I guess I'm going to cry today. Yeah. You will have this bizarre thought and it's just like sadness all day long now. Yeah. Yeah. Or longer than that sometimes. But yeah. You know, it's always completely unexpected and yeah. it always seems to be at a point where you think you're doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's just very odd and so I I love that he said that because I feel like if you haven't experienced grief before you just don't really know like how triggering yeah. weird stuff can be or how you can feel sadness for no really apparent reason um, yeah it's just like you wake up and it's like oh I'm gonna feel this way for now yeah um, and I, I don't know about necessarily other people, but I sort of related to Eamon and Red as well, because I know that like I, not anymore, but I used to beat myself up for having those bad days mm -hmm. and sort of saying to myself, like, why aren't you over this yet? Why aren't you past this point yet? And you learn that that's not the way that grief works. You don't get over it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I really, I love, I really appreciated the way that she wrote about their experiences of grief. And Amen says this to Red at one point when she's talking about her mom, 
He says, sometimes you don't mourn people so much as you mourn who they could have been. And I, that statement resonated so much with me because it's true. You mourn who the person could have been, but also what your relationship with them could have been. Yes, absolutely. It's all the what ifs, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you start to question like, well, could I have done something different? Did I do everything that I could have? It just opens up all of these feelings. I've I've talked about this a lot with my therapist over the last year, (laughs) but I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Yeah. That's one of the best things about reading books and, and having authors put those things into words for us in ways that we wouldn't have been able to do ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So one of the things we see in this book is religion, but two different sides of it, I guess. Um, so we see sort of a more passive side, which are basically all thoughts and prayers, great, um, to bring back the kings. And I like what Neve says to um, one of the like original priestesses. She goes, you throw a girl in white and black and red into the wild wilderwood every few centuries when a second daughter comes around, but nothing you do is enough to bring back the kings. Maybe they don't want to come back to such cowardly penitents who never do anything but send pointless sacrifices and light pointless candles. Yes, it's, I love that. <laughs> Because, yeah, that's basically like what we get a lot of times right now is thoughts and prayers instead of action being taken. Of course, on the other end, now you have these priestesses who are like on the dark side and have a pain kink and are bleeding themselves. But (laughs) sometimes you got to (laughs) bleed. There's action happening, you know, like. And I can see how that was enticing for Neve as well, yes. now that you bring it up, you know, like yes. her crusade throughout her whole life was she had this attitude of fuck those thoughts and prayers, you know. Mm-hmm. She never believed in it, even less so than what Red did. Um, right. So you can see how, you know, actually taking action and doing something other would have been quite enticing for her and her grief and desperation to get Red back. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I would not have joined this like new priestess cult thing, right? Because their like rebel thing that they like their slogan was just we do what we have to do. That is like you're not gonna entice me to come to your side with that. (laughs) Who's not doing that already? I mean, is there anybody out here not already doing what they have to do? I'm not joining your bare minimum (laughs) rebellion thing. Whatever's happening here. No, <laughs> you need a better slogan. <laughs> that is very on brand with you, Vicky. I'm, I'm concerned for you. Why? If there is ever a rebel movement and they just have a really catchy slogan, you're going to be gone. I'll be like, oh gosh. Vicky's going to be like, they really earned me. Well done. You've won me over. They gave me it a rhymed and everything. <laughs> okay so the the end of this book is a little bit wild red goes to the kingdom back to valeda and then escapes 
she accepts the roots, which is what she needed. Like the, the trees just needed her to share some power. We just needed yeah. an equal distribution between her and Amen, and they were good. Everything was good. She and went everything back. was rosy. Yes. Yes. Even. But we can't have nice things here. So no. that, <laughs> that wasn't good enough for everybody else. So she goes back. And first of all, we get the like, there's only one bed trope introduced pretty early in this story. And they don't share it, which is different because usually when there's only one bed, it leads to the second yeah. times, but not here, not until like 85, 90% in the book. And then we don't get a lot of description, which is fine. Red's Whatever. just like, you can sleep on the floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's you really can... cold. So you can move closer to the fireplace. Yeah, you should want. move closer to the fire <laughs> in your own bedroom. Yes. Yeah. I yes. grant you permission. <laughs> But she goes back and Eamon and Red are good. They decide, all right, we can be together without the trees trying to eat Red. So it's fine. And then it all goes to hell. (laughs) Rafe shows up and is like, yeah, by the way, your sister's gone. Did you kidnap her? And Red's like, nope. Uh, And then it's exactly and, how it goes. Did you yeah. never? Nope. I haven't seen her. Have you seen her? Nope. I haven't seen her. Yeah. No idea. Sorry, bro. Um, <laughs> but you can stay if you want, I guess. So the Sentinels get taken out by Solmir because they're and Kiri because they're trying to raise all of the other Kings. And um, the roots get ripped out. Uh, so red gets the roots and then the roots get ripped out of her. Very painful. But Eamon takes it all. He takes the entire forest, which is what we were trying to if He turns into tree beard, like has, he's a <laughs> god or something. <laughs> I picture then, Groot. He has a Groot. Oh, yeah, just Groot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of wild here at the end. Yeah, we get yeah. a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> it was a lot of stuff. Yeah. And Very suspicious when everything is absolutely wonderful and you've still got like 15 percent of the book to go you know yes yeah yes um yeah so neve is doing like a snow white thing in this casket she's got black veins now which is cool i guess and then she gets sucked into the shadowlands and Solmir gets sucked into the shadowlands and eric who i didn't really have strong feelings for this whole time Suddenly I'm very sad because he like impales it. Like he and red help each other kill him. And it's sad. It's so sad. I did not expect to be this sad at his, like when he like, so she lays like, they kind of like lay down together. Right. And he tucks the piece of her hair behind her ear. Like they used to, when they used to lay together like that. And then he dies. And I'm like, why was this so sad? Like, I don't know him. But this is how, like hurt my soul. <laughs> like ugh. it made me so sad for him. Yes, it he was just a... well and poor she, like... sweet summer child. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I was not expecting to be so bothered by his death, and uh, it hurt me. And I, what, I well, I think it's just because he was such a pawn in the plot, you know. And yeah. 
Well, <laughs> even at the end, he you. was like, you re- you loved me, right? Like you love me. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not in the way that you love me, but I did love you. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. I was reading it going, oh, oh my poor sweet summer boy. <laughs> Oh gosh. Ooh, it was just it was bad. Mm-hmm. And then Carrie doesn't die. Very unsatisfying. Very um nice. I don't know. This is wild. I mean, I like the ending. Yes, yeah. Um Rafe kind of pissed me off at the end. Yes. I was so mad. <laughs> Rafe asks Red um what they're gonna do and she's basically like I don't know because like why would she know this is an insane situation and he says that's not good enough Red excuse me (laughs) what it's not like Red did anything here none of this is her fault Neve's the one who went and played around with dark magic yeah and he's gonna give her attitude yeah. Where's like, your plan, Rafe? Yeah. And he was close to her. Do about it? <laughs> he was right there while she's like just slipping into this descent of dark magic and bloodletting. And yeah. what do you know, Rafe? Precisely. Yeah. It's the audacity for me. Like, yeah, do needs to sit yeah. down. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. I guess we could just like make red continue to do the heavy lifting in this situation why not <laughs> that's fine right if you to just sit down and yeah <laughs> i'll just figure it out <laughs> yeah 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 so annoyed when i read that bit yes yeah i do love at the end soul has gone um Eamon is still you know tree beard and uh, red walks up to him and was like i want to make a deal i want aemon back because i love you and aemon's like okay we're good and so they live happily ever after as like tree people slash gods like that's couple goals for me i'm literally just trying to be I thought it wrapped up really nicely. Mm-hmm. I agree. It wrapped up Me their too. story really nicely and set up um, Neve's story really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Did we have some favorite quotes? Mm-hmm. So I had one. It was, don't go looking for guilt. And I highlighted this. And Marissa, I thought of you when I highlighted this. Um, because... A while ago, you said something about you don't pick up other people's issues, mm-hmm. right? And it reminded mm-hmm. me of this. And I just like that. And it's a good reminder, right? Of don't go looking for problems that aren't your own and don't like bring guilt onto yourself for things that you haven't done, like that aren't your fault. Yes. Just because it's out there doesn't mean you have to pick it up. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And then I had also highlighted, you brought it up in the um, discussion, but sometimes you don't mourn people so much as you mourn who they could have been. Um, 
And I also really love that quote because there's mourning of a relationship, there's mourning of a person. So what we discussed that. So. Yep. Um, I really like this quote that read she makes this observation when she's reunited or uh, when she gets together with Eamon she says they were like two pieces fitting back together like her edges were meant for his hollows again just the way that this is phrased is so nice you kind yeah. of get this image of like puzzle pieces coming together or just like the symmetry in in each other and it it it's it creates really nice imagery it does well, on puzzle pieces, I highlighted a, all of those quotes, but I also highlighted this rather obscure one. I don't know why I liked it so much, but um, it was, red was a warped puzzle piece. Her change is nearly too subtle to see, but enough to keep her from fitting back into the place she'd left. And um, it, she was in the later when that inner monologue was going on and sort of reflecting on, she was in her old room and sort of reflecting on how everything was the same and she was still, but she wasn't quite the same person. And um, she was still made up of all the essential things that she was before, but she was just kind of bigger now. And um, I think at some point in our lives, we all kind of relate to that. We all feel like we're still who we are, but we've been changed some way. And we're just like these little puzzle pieces that just warped just enough that we don't quite fit back into the place we did before. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Maybe too. Yeah. Alrighty, well, that wraps up For the Wolf by Hannah Witten. Stacey, we are so appreciative of your time. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure. As always, we love talking with you. If you don't- Always a ride. Yes, yes. If you don't already follow Stacy, you should go check her out on TikTok. She is Stacebook Space. She is hysterical. She also has an Instagram page by the same name, Stacebook Space. And you should look out for her book coming out September 13th, Ledge, in all the places that you can buy books. It's so exciting. Yeah. Can't wait. Yes. Um, next week, we will be talking about Throne of the Horde King by Zoe Draven. This is the last book in her Horde King series, and we're super excited, excited, but also kind of sad because it's the last book, and that's sad. So thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you joining us, join us next week. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.